0: next three uh, Sunday evenings, I'm going to be doing a series called The Mission Field Next Door. And it's a three-part series. Tonight's a little more data, a little more information just to set the landscape, the groundwork, and then we'll be covering some other topics in the next two weeks. Tara Saunders had something interesting to say, this, a number of interesting things this morning. And one thing she said is that when Pastor Don asked you if you will teach. It's a question, but it's also kind of a instruction, shall we say it that way. And so it's a privilege to be able to do this this evening. And I was thinking about how to, how to start this off, but the mission field next door is something that's been on my heart and my mind for quite a while. And so I have three big questions I want to cover over the next three weeks. First of all, what's the current landscape we're facing here in Canada, and what are some of the problems we're facing? Secondly, what does God's Word tell us our responsibilities are? And thirdly, how can we begin to do more things or do things better as we reach out to the people around us? And we'll cover this and more over the next three Sunday evenings. And I have no intention of upsetting you, but one of the things I know that sometimes happens when we deal with somewhat controversial topics is that sometimes people's noses can get a little bit out of joint. And I'll try to be as diplomatic as I can, but one of the things that I do think is important is that the gospel is not something that is always comforting. You've probably noticed that. And sometimes it moves us, and challenges us to step outside our comfort zone. One of the things I've been thinking about today as I've been uh, looking through my notes and praying is that I frequently, when I'm convicted to do something, am very uncomfortable about it. And I think that's one of the ways God works in my heart, and I suspect in yours as well. And so I'm under no illusions that I have the answers to all the questions I'm going to bring up and, and to some of the problems that I'm going to mention as well. But I do pray that over these next three Sunday evenings that one of the things that will happen is it will stimulate some conversation here in the church. And I know that the people who show up on Sunday night, it's like preaching to the choir in a sense. You're here because you're committed and you're all in for Jesus. But there's things that I think we can do better in our own communities, and so I want to talk about some of that as well. Tara Saunders this morning, we, we didn't talk about what she was going to teach on or what I was going to teach on, but she hit four main points, and I want to just read them. I jotted them down because they're pertinent to what we're doing over the next three evening, Sunday evenings. She said that a Christ-like posture demonstrates our relationship to Him. A Christ-like posture uh, demonstrates surrender and dependence on him. I'm trying to read my own writing here. A Christ-like posture demonstrates my thankfulness, and out of this, love grows. And four, a Christ-like posture demonstrates an eternal perspective, uh, not an earthly one. And those are important points. I want to just set a foundation here. I am very grateful and proud, I think in a good way, to be part of a congregation, of a church community that gives heartily to global missions. I'm grateful that we are part of a community that is the most giving church financially to missions of any PAOC church in Canada. And that's something that is wonderful, and it's also something that is part of spreading the gospel around the world. It's a pivotal part of the Great Commission. But I want to remind us that it's not the only thing. It's easy sometimes, and I'm saying it's easy because it's sometimes easy for me to sit back and say, wow, Cedarview, we do such a great job. Put my feet up and, uh, you know, watch bowling for dollars. Is that still on? I don't have a TV. But, you you know, doing something mindless and pointless So I want to start where Tara ended this morning, again, reading the Great Commission. We didn't collude on this either. This is Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this brings me to point number one. Number one, we are all called, all of us are called to spread the gospel. And this text is familiar to everyone here, I'm sure, Some of us have heard it since we were little tykes, since we were kids. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is reminding us in His authority that His authority is on heaven and on earth. And out of this authority, He is instructing His disciples, and that's us, those of us who are Christians, that we are to go into all the world and spread the good news, the gospel. And we accurately do assume that Jesus isn't just instructing the 11 remaining disciples on that day. He's instructing you and me as well, 21st century Christians. The phrase, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, is a reminder that you and I are being deputized. We've been deputized. And being deputized by our Savior isn't something we should ever take lightly. This isn't some sort of just throwaway line in the Bible. These were the last words Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. And so I think it requires some urgency on your part and mine as we think of this. We should never take it lightly. And so what does this have to do with the mission field next door? Well, many of you are generous givers, and the funds to the missions, to our global missions. Some of you and many of you are loyal volunteers to various ministries here at Cedarview, and you do outreach in the community. And while all of this is laudable and vital and important and godly, it seems to me that sometimes we forget the huge mission field right in our own backyard. To paraphrase a friend, it's sometimes easier to give $100 than to give 100 minutes. And so what else then did Jesus command his disciples to do? And therefore, that means you and me. In Matthew 6.33, he told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's first things first. We're to put first things first. Everything else we do as Christians is built on the foundation of seeking his kingdom. He also told us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart heart, soul, strength, and mind, we're to love our neighbors as He even said in Matthew 5.44 that we are to love our enemies. We are to love our enemies. And some of you may have noticed that sometimes enemies live pretty nearby. I live in a condo building. I'm the president of the condo corporation. I can tell you that there's some people who think I'm their enemy. And uh, they treat me as such. And it is imperative Without getting into any stories, that I treat them as someone God loves, that they are someone, they are image bearers of God. And so that leads me to point number two. The first mission field is where we live. That's scriptural, by the way. If we take Jesus' example, Jesus preached primarily to his own people in his own country, and he instructed his disciples to do so as well. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles to the local communities He instructs them. them. This is Matthew 10, 6-8. Go to the lost sheep of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without paying. So they were instructed to take this to their own people in their own extended community. They were starting where they lived. With them, Jesus was setting a precedent. And this is fairly early in Jesus' ministry, as you'll recall. It was a real test to his novice disciples. Can you imagine fishermen, tax collectors, people who were used to manual labor and doing everyday sorts of things, and all of a sudden, this man, this God-man Jesus, who they had seen teach and preach, and they'd seen him heal the blind, and cast out demons and raise the ruler's daughter from the dead and give speech to the mute man. Can you imagine what this assignment would have been like for them? It would have been overwhelming, sort of like it is for you and me sometimes. But Jesus was instructing them to do what he did. He even warned them that this would be a difficult task, that there would be persecution down the road, that they are to trust, as Jesus said, the Spirit of your Father, in other words, the Holy Spirit, who would speak through them so they didn't even have to know what they were going to say, which is comforting, isn't it, to you and me sometimes in situations that we're in? The disciples, like you and I feel sometimes, must have been frightened and would have recognized how they certainly couldn't do this under their own power. And the Lord reminds us through his word of the same thing. We are to make disciples of all. We are to teach and preach and baptize new believers. I'm glad that we have a baptism tonight. You and I are to be Jesus' representatives here in this world. And in our own community, this church included, we see broken marriages, broken lives, hopelessness, despair. Walk down Main Street in Newmarket or Holland Street in Bradford or any major street in any town around us. You will see people who are homeless, who are addicts, who are mentally ill, who are poor, who are downtrodden, who are in need of help and in need of a savior. Or watch the news. I've done that recently. Wokeism, LGBTQ, add all the initials you want stuff. Activists, transgender issues, abortion on demand, assisted suicide, all these carnal things that are starting to be promoted actively in our world. The list goes on and on. It's very easy to see just what a difficult task we have ahead of us. And by the way, if you disagree with any of those things I mentioned, you're considered intolerant and a hater. We live in a broken, evil, and carnal world. So to set the landscape a little bit, for the next few minutes, I want to share with you some thoughts about that landscape. And I'm going to do some statistical stuff that I pulled off of the Internet from Statistics Canada, the last census, some other research that's gone on. If we are to make disciples of everyone, we are required to start working where we live. So according to the last Canadian census in Statistics Canada, the last census of about 2019, 68% of Canadians who answered the census claimed to have some religious affiliation. That includes Hindus, uh, Muslims, and other religious affiliates. And so Christians were part of that, both Protestant and uh, Catholic. Notice that affiliation says nothing about their beliefs, nothing about their activities, and so on. But of that 68% of the 100%, 54% claimed that their religious or spiritual beliefs were somewhat or greatly important to how they lived their lives. It's kind of scary, isn't it? But it gets a bit worse. Another important question was asked, what is the importance of religious or spiritual beliefs in how you live your life? Not surprisingly, said it wasn't very important at all, and 29% said it wasn't wasn't very important. So that's 45% of the 68 saying it's not very important or not important at all. Another survey by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, which took place just a couple of years ago, showed that roughly 50% of those they surveyed consider themselves agnostic, atheist, or unreligious, in other words, religion, who cares? This survey also tells that that only 8% of Canadians consider themselves evangelical believers, and only 10% of Canadians attend church services weekly. The organization that did this research also stated, and this is a direct quote, from a church-per-capita perspective, Canada is one of the most unchurched countries in the world. That kind of surprised me a little bit. Personally, I like to take statistics with a grain of salt. I know that they're just snapshots. But even if these statistics are even partially true, even just a little bit true, it's a warning sign, I think, to you and to me that there are things that we need to be doing differently. Any born-again believer who's paying attention, I think, would agree with me when I say we have a huge problem right here at home, even without the statistics. We used to say, I know when I was a kid, that Canada was a Christian nation, but that's not even statistically true anymore. I want to take a quick look at another country for comparison, South Korea. In 1885, South Korea was 1% Christian. 1%. 138 years after the gospel first reached the Korean peninsula through the work of foreign missionaries, global workers, Christians now make up more than 25% of the South Korean population. The majority of them belong to Protestant denominations. Right now, six of the lar- ten largest megachurches in the world are in Korea. Six of them. And according to an article I read a couple of weeks ago, in 2012, official official Korean government statistics put the number of Protestant churches at 77,000 in Korea, more than three times the number of convenience stores they had in the country at the time. Pretty interesting, isn't it? In 1974, South Korea had 24 foreign missionaries. Today, they have more than 28,000 in more than 100 countries. By the way, that includes Canada and the U.S. They're sending missionaries here. I was talking with my friend Kelvin on the phone a couple of days ago, and he was reminding me that there are many African countries as well that have missionaries here in Canada and the U.S. In fact, my friend Kelvin was at a, a conference in Urbana, in 1970, a Christian conference. And he met African missionaries to the U.S. who were saying they came because they realized that North America was so in need of Jesus. And he said it really moved him at the time and uh, it sort of spurred him to action. One more thing about the Korean evangelicals. Many churches have morning prayer meetings for people before they go to work, and they do this at 5 a.m. There's an article I read, from Korea, this is quoting seon Yu Kim, who's a church elder in Seoul. He said, Christians cannot live without faith and prayer, even for a moment. I believe morning prayer is God's blessing for us. I spoke about that article to Steve Rowe recently. On, I think it was last Tuesday. And Steve, as you know, has been deeply involved in prayer ministry here in this church, men's prayer, other prayer programs. And he's leading a Tuesday morning a program called Daybreak Morning Prayer and Praise every Tuesday over here in the meeting room at 7 to 8 a.m. And I know everyone here is busy and I know some of you have to be off to work or you have a late night the night before but if you can be there even occasionally at 7 a.m. to pray for this community to pray for our church to pray for our global workers to pray for the ministries here please join Steve he would love that and and there's also the women's online prayer that's starting up next week at 1 o'clock in the afternoon that you can do it online. Women, you can, you can uh, register for that on the events page on the website. I talked about it in announcements this morning. But we need to be praying. A growing church and a thriving church needs to be a praying church. We here in North America are seen by the Koreans and by others in Africa and South America as places where the gospel needs to be spread. So that's a call to you and me. One more set of statistics from a recent study of young people, predominantly students. This study was to determine what percentage of that young population are agnostic or atheists. Not surprisingly, the top percentage was in communist China where 92% of the young people claimed to be atheist. However, in the top 25, where do you think Canadian young people ranked? Iceland was number 25, with 54% claiming to be agnostic or atheist. But our country, Canada, ranked number 17, which again surprised me, with 63% of the young people polled claiming to be agnostic or atheist. By the way, the U.S., At 43%, didn't make the top 25, and neither did South Korea or any African country. As I've said earlier, these polls and statistics may not be completely accurate, but they do at least highlight some concerns for us. And I'm hoping that just in sharing some of this with you, that rather than being discouraging or boring, that what it's doing is starting to awaken in you this desire to say, what can we do? We need to change things. This country has changed. Our communities have changed. With the use of social media and and, uh, the internet and all of that, people are getting these negative messages out so quickly. So what are you and I going to be doing about this? We are required as Christians to spread the gospel. This wasn't a gentle suggestion from gentle hippie Jesus. It was the King, the Lord of all, our Savior, who said we are to go into all the world, which includes our own communities, our own homes, indeed our own church, and we are to spread the gospel. And it's not something we do when everything else in our busy lives are done. It's something that we are required to do. It's a fundamental focus for our lives. It's putting first things first seeking the kingdom of God and spreading his message to the nations, including our own. How do we do that? Well, I want to share something that I heard about just this week. I was on the, We got a call in the office, and Marilyn asked me if I would take it, and I was chatting with this young man who wanted to ask some questions about our church. He's not a Christian, but he's curious. And he told me this interesting story, and, and I found this quite fascinating. He said he'd finished work, and he was working in a plaza somewhere uh, in the GTA. And he said he was, he'd gone in after work in this, this, in this plaza into the men's room to wash his hands because they were kind of dirty from the work he was doing. He said, as I was washing my hands and getting a paper towel to dry them, I heard a voice behind me say, Jesus loves you. And he said, the first thing I thought is like, what's going on here? In the washroom, somebody's saying, Jesus loves you. And so he's not a Christian. He said, I've been to church a few times. I've been to some weddings, some funerals, and I came to an alpha class once at Cedar View with a guy who dragged me along and the food was good or something like that. He said, so I turned around and there's this guy wearing his construction clothing. And so I just said to him, well, Jesus loves you too. And he said, well, would you like to go for coffee and talk about that? Now, I'm thinking, whoever this guy was who said, Jesus loves you, you want to go for coffee, is a lot braver than I frequently am. But the Holy Spirit was working in that situation, and he went for coffee with this guy, and they chatted, they exchanged phone numbers, and he said, we've been meeting every other week, and the odd week that we don't meet, we talk on the phone, And he said, we've been reading together the gospel of John. And he said, so now I'm curious. I want to know more. And it gives me chills when I hear stories like that because it it shows me that there are people who want to know. There's hunger out there in the world. And it is up to you and to me to go out and spread that word. It's not up to our global workers. We support them as we absolutely should do. But we are all global workers. There's that old cliche, bloom where you're planted. Wherever you live or work, this is required of you as a Christian. It's not an option. And so I want to finish with a short passage of Scripture. How did Jesus do his ministry, and what did he ask for? This is from Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Next week, our subject matter is going to be quite different. I'm going to focus on, right now the list is seven, the seven excuses that we use to not get started in this mission that we've been asked to fulfill. And what the Bible says about each one of those excuses. Our excuses aren't very strong, I'll tell you, even though they seem real to us. And so let's just bow our heads in prayer.